Hey guys, if you're interested in checking out a video version of the show, please visit the Low Key Geek channel on YouTube. There you can not only catch the video version of the podcast, but you can also check out my other projects and short form video that I produce. You can find a link in the description. Otherwise, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey, what's up, everybody? In this week's episode of Movie Time, we have a lot of stuff to talk about. We're going to be talking about some of the new movies that came out this week, like Women Talking, Glass Onion, which is going to be huge on Netflix, and Babylon, Damien Chazelle's latest movie that a lot of people and critics are kind of panning. So it will be interesting to talk to Blake about. Uh, Blake also finally got to watch The Menu, and I am so excited to talk to him about it this week. So sit back, relax, grab your favorite stack, because it's time for Movie Time, coming at you right now. Hey, what's up, everybody, and happy holidays to all of you out there, because we are in the thick of the holiday season right now. Welcome to another episode of Movie Time. You got myself, Renee, Loki Geek here, and Blake the Wolf. What's going on, my man? Renee, what's good? I just got out of uh, Babylon. I uh, came home in the 20-degree New York weather. Um, I, I'm excited to talk about movies with you today. Are you ready to get into it? Oh, yeah. And we have a lot of movies to talk about this week. Uh, basically, I know going into the weekend, there are some new movies that are coming out that I'm sure a lot of you are going to be watching and catching up on. Uh, Blake and I saw some movies this week. We would just love to talk about it briefly and then maybe, you know, convince some of you to check those movies out for yourself, because I think a lot of these movies offer something different for everybody. But if you're brand new to this channel, and you haven't seen us before, this is the Movie Time Podcast, where basically it's a review podcast where we talk about movies and give our thoughts and opinions about it. With the, And we're just two knuckleheads that just love talking about movies in general. So if you like what you see, you want to see more of this, hit that like, subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. Hit that like button. Um, I said that already, didn't I? Hit that notification bell so that you get notified every time a new uh, episode or video is uploaded onto the channel. For you audio listeners, if you want an audio version of this, type in Low Key Geek on your podcast platform of choice where you can find this episode and many others to download. And to the audio listeners out there already, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you tuning in every time a new episode is uploaded. So, before we get into all this movie talk and all of that, it's the holidays, Blake. What are you doing yeah. this weekend? Are you are you are you doing Buddy. anything special? So I'm gonna go back to my hometown of Oklahoma City and nice. I'm gonna spend some time with the fam. And uh, hopefully it'll be at least a few degrees warmer there as mm -hmm. as I go southward. And the other thing that the holidays are great for, just the season for all the studios to throw movies on before the end of the year. Right. And to have some time off work and watch Netflix, hang out, streaming, go to the theater with the fam, all that. So I'm glad, uh, I'm glad we're talking about multiple movies today because of that. Because it's, it's the exact right time to just like, just get snowed in and binge. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What about you, buddy? What, what do you got coming up? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be like uh, cooking Christmas lunch or dinner. Uh, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, with uh, for my mom. So we're just going to be spending it at just us two. And and like you, it's also a great time to catch up on a lot of movies and all that. Do you have any particular movie in mind that you've been dying to catch up on or, or check out? 
So I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to transition us too quickly. No. But the number one movie on my list is going to be The New Knives Out, which I have not had a chance to see yet. And as I soon am... as we're done here, I'm probably going to go watch that movie. I am, like a lot of people, geeked for that one over this over this break. Oh, yeah. And for, for good reason, I would say. Um, and I'm glad you brought that up because that is actually one of the movies I did want to talk about. I um, kind of refrain from talking about this movie since I did have a chance to see it early. Um, because it's just one of those movies where I'm just like, here we go. <laughs> yeah, you know, Renee it, gets it, to it, see movies early. Everyone, congratulations, Renee. Look, I'm just lucky we're that way. Okay, <laughs> we're lucky to get to hear whether you recommend the movie turns out. I'm so curious. Absolutely, and and I think now is a good time to talk about. It. Now, again, no spoilers. Obviously, it's one of those movies where I can't do that to to all of you if you haven't seen it yet, because there's just a lot. That it's Thank a murder you. mystery, so obviously, you know, I can't really divulge a lot about it, but I will give you my quick, you know, uh, spiel on the movie itself and what I think about it. So, you know, obviously, I'm a huge fan of the first Knives Out. I thought that was one of those like brilliant movies that kind of brought that genre back into the forefront as far as like murder mysteries and all that. Definitely a whole lot better than Murder on the Orient Express and. More recently, Death on the Nile, because those were just now the, the Orient Express was okay. Death on the Nile was just like, oh god, god awful. Bad. It was bad, just bad, 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 yeah. But the, the Knives Out kind of did it justice, that kind of genre. And I and with the ensemble cast, I really had great chemistry together and all that. It worked out well. So obviously, I'm, I was curious as to how Glass Onion was going to be like. I was so pleasantly surprised on how well. Damn this movie turned out to be Ryan Johnson has really found that perfect niche for himself. You know, he knows how to direct movies like this. He knows how to put this ensemble cast and, and work really well together. He knows how to properly put attention on each character without having one particular character outshine the others with the exception of course of detective Benoit, you know, Daniel Craig, because he is the main character of the movie. And the main protagonist of the movie, right? Because there's always going to be like your 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 uh, good guy and your bad guy, right? Um, but everyone from Catherine Hahn to Dave Bautista, Leslie Odom Jr. I mean, the list goes on. Kate Hudson, um, brilliant, brilliant performances all around. Um, the standout here is definitely uh, Janelle Monet. She was so phenomenal in this movie. I would be surprised if she's not talked about in any kind of consideration Ooh. when it comes to some sort of cool. award. Um, now, this movie will will be considered for Oscars because it had its limited run in the theaters, so it should be you know eligible and all that. But Janelle Monae was just fantastic. I mean, I liked her already before. I think she's a, a huge talent, yeah. but man. This brings her to a whole other level, in my opinion. Um, I dare I say this may be not only of this year, but I think one of the best Netflix Netflix movies of all time. Ooh. That's that's my yeah. that's my praise of the movie, and I am sticking to it, and I am I am a hundred percent serious about it. It's a shame that this movie did not see a longer run in theaters because now that we're in the holidays, people are going out to theaters to watch movies now. This is a perfect uh, movie theater movie. 
you know, I'm glad a lot of people have a chance to watch it at home, maybe with the family, maybe with friends and all that. It's a great movie to experience with a lot of people. That's why I really, truly feel like this is a theater. This should have been a longer run at a theater uh, in the in the movie theaters, because I think it would would have done really well. And I think, you know, it's just one of those great things to experience with a whole bunch of people to, you know, experience the reactions and all that stuff like that. so yeah, I I truly truly enjoyed it, and I I'm pretty sure you're gonna enjoy it as well. So, um, hopefully when we record our next episode, you could give us your thoughts on the movie once you see it, and okay. then maybe we could briefly talk about you know some of the surprises in that movie as well. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, I'm ready for it. I was already excited. Now you've ruined it, so I'm gonna be so excited that it won't live <laughs> up no matter what. The fact that you said Janelle Monet, like it another level like i couldn't love janelle monet more than i have oh my god for years now since as a musician yeah then acting goodness gracious and then if it's your one of your favorite netflix movies of all time the okay yeah i'm gonna as soon as we're done here i'm tempted right now to just wall log off and act like i have internet <laughs> issues like all right bye everyone it. yeah <laughs> uh-huh <laughs> I, I w- okay. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have blamed you if if you were to do that. But I, I thank you for not doing that because it will be a shame of just having <laughs> me talk about all of this other stuff all by myself. But but yeah, I'm I'm so curious <laughs> as to what your reaction is going to be like with this movie and and all of you out there too because I know this is a movie that a lot of people are talking about. A lot of people have been anticipating and waiting for this movie to come out. It is one of those rare occasions where the sequel. I think actually outshines the first one. Wow. Love I, the I'm, first one. I'm wow. giving a lot of praise on this movie. I'm Everybody loved you. the first one. Damn. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but, but that's just how good this movie was. It's interesting that they did the thing because they did the the theater release just so it could be an awards contention. I think they did that actually over the last holiday here in America, the Thanksgiving break. And then now they're putting it on Netflix over the yep. holidays. Mm-hmm. And that's their bet, which is really interesting. Uh, but that's that's kind of, in my opinion, that's good timing. Sure. I'm more likely to see something at Netflix than, but yeah, the one where you get the whole family out to the theater mm-hmm. this would probably be one of the movies for that. Um, yeah. But Avatar 2 is probably going to get a lot of those anyway. Oh, I'm sure. For a murder sure, mystery, sure. I'm actually not mad about watching it at home because sometimes the audience can ruin certain reveals or surprises right. or you might hear someone whisper like guessing who it is or whatever yeah and then i also at least on the first one didn't have a ton of action that required it had some action but not enough to require a theater yeah. so do you feel like it loses something by being on netflix or um i don't think it will lose anything per se um again it's just one of those there's a lot of just like in the first one there's a lot of funny moments that a, p- a lot of people are going to be laughing at there's some yeah. really interesting twists that are very different from a typical murder mystery type of movie. I hate you. I hate you right now. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I'm so excited. God you know, and, and again, <laughs> it's just it's being in a crowd and experiencing these moments. You know, yeah. I think that's one of the reasons why I also loved it so much is because I, I I saw it in the theater with a bunch of people and all of us were just buzzing once the movie was over. And is you know, it was just one of those and I'm not the only one who said it. I heard a lot of people saying, oh, I like this so much better than the first one. Um, wow. It, yeah. And huh. you don't really hear that a lot when, when it comes to sequels, especially a murder mystery sequel, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the last time I, I was at a theater for a murder mystery, one of the most recent times, it was Ry- another Ryan Johnson movie when he murdered the Star Wars franchise with The Last Hey-o! Jedi. 
Just, just kidding. I'm actually a last Jedi defender. We don't have time to get into that. <laughs> Renee. Yes. Uh, I actually, I, I do want to hear people's comments when they, when they see this movie. For oh sure. yes, but absolutely. What other, have you, we were talking about going to the movies. Have you seen any other movies? Recently? Yes. So you want to uh, get me hyped for. Well, <laughs> well, I know, oh, I no. know, I, I know. No, no, no. This is not a bad thing. I know you and I, we, we share a love for like indie movies and and more of the serious stuff. And we love talking about things that are involved in the Oscar contention conversation and all that stuff. Women talking. Um, I had a chance to see it earlier this week uh, to a, a special screening at MOMI, Museum of Moving Image. They did a special screening. The movie, I think, comes out limitedly this weekend. I'm not sure when it's, you know, more nationwide releases, but it's from director Sarah Pauly. It stars Claire Foy, Jesse Buckley, Rooney Mara. Again, these are darlings of, like, the indie uh, movie scene. Jesse Buckley, you and I can't talk enough about her after we had our review about mm-hmm. men. Um, I've always been a huge fan of Rooney Mara for a very long time. And uh, Frances McDormand is also in this movie, too. So you got pretty, I would say, big powerhouses as far as up-and-coming actresses and one veteran that is just like, you know, I mean, her name speaks for herself. Um, The movie, if you don't know enough about the movie, the plot, or whatever the case is, it's about a bunch of women in this isolated religious colony. They struggle to reconcile, you know, their faith after experiencing some... um, events that were like sexual assaults and and violence within the the colony and all that um i know it doesn't sound sexy but it's one of those movies that is and i don't want people to think about this movie as like a me too movie you know i don't want people to think about it like that it's definitely it gives a lot of um great women empowerment moments you know which is something that i think is very poignant in today's landscape but it's a it's a chamber movie and and if you're familiar with chamber movies it just takes place in this barn in a series of two days and these women talking about what they're planning to do and the performances were just phenomenal extremely emotional strong um you know heart-wrenching at times emotional um, and the one thing I really love about this movie, again, not spoiling anything, is that each each woman in this colony has experienced something bad. You never once see it happen. However, you do see flashbacks of an aftermath of when something happened. And these are like little wow. brief like tidbits. It's like maybe three seconds of like a, an aftermath. Wow. And then they flash back to like maybe again five seconds of this other person who experienced something, so you get the you get the importance of these actions that happen against them, and then you understand more so why these women are facing this big dilemma as to what they should do, you know. And basically, it's it's just you know how are they going to move on, knowing that this is something that's going to be repeatedly happening over and over and over again. It is so powerful of a movie i mean everyone who was in the theater loved the movie uh huge huge uh there was a huge applause afterwards sarah polly hasn't directed that many movies i i I was looking earlier i think she did three other movies that i've never heard of before um but yeah right now rotten tomatoes has it at 90 percent metacritic has it at 80 percent imdb has it at 7.7 out of 10 
So, and again, it's not fully released nationwide and all that. So I'm sure a lot of these are critic reviews and all that. But it is definitely one of those movies I think you would definitely appreciate um, checking out. And again, when we talk about Oscar races and contention and all that, there's definitely, there could be an argument made here with any of these main actresses uh, about possibly in that conversation for supporting and best actress and possibly maybe even Sarah Polly for like screenwriting. I, I, I don't know who wrote the screen. Yeah, she did. She wrote the screenplay. I, I would say maybe in a screenwriting category uh, for, I know this was adapted from a book, so maybe adapted screenplay um, could be in the conversation here. So now are, have, wow. have you been, have you heard of this movie? Are you familiar with this movie at all? I've heard of it in the awards show preview awards context. Um, mm-hmm. I I knew enough to know that I was wary, but the way you talked about it, a question I always have for these movies is how do they handle assault? And yeah, some movies like this, I don't. There there needs to be content and trigger warnings for stuff yep. like this. The mm-hmm. fact that you told me it isn't showing and isn't gratuitously exploit like that, it can be really ruin a movie experience for me. Or sure. it can like I there's times I'll walk out of a theater, which I hate to do, but. Um, that's a, I think that's a clever way to handle it. Yeah, and then it's only showing the aftermath, which shows mm-hmm. the importance of it. And in that context of a phrase like "believe all women," right? It's not like oh, now we get to. It, it's so hard to show horrible things happening to someone without it feeling possibly either exploitative or yeah. gross and and triggering for people. All that. So that's actually good to know. I also love uh, tour acting movies that are mainly just like venues for great acting and the mm-hmm. fact that it's a single location i'm a sucker for a single location oh yeah movie. oh yeah big time one of my favorite uh niche genres of film um uh i so there, i don't have anything to add to it but now you have me this one also i'm just gonna go see that just as soon i'm assuming this weekend like literally tomorrow i'll go to the theater after seeing knives out tonight probably yeah, it's it's definitely worth checking out. Again, if if you if you're looking for something a little bit more serious, um, you know, if if you just want to see brilliant acting, you know, and performances, like this is definitely that movie to check out. And if you're not familiar with a lot of these actresses, it's it's a great moment to get exposed to them because again, a lot of these actresses are like like I said, some of the best up and coming actresses that are not always in the conversation. But I do feel like, you know, they are starting to get more recognition. Like, like I think Jessie Buckley is, is having a great time right now. She's being involved in a lot of different films um, where her performance just speaks for itself, right? So definitely check it out. Again, for those of you watching or listening, let us know if this was something that was on your radar. Is this a, a type of movie that you're interested in checking out? Um, I'm definitely curious to hear what people think about this movie after they see it because it's definitely one of those great movies. Um, I don't know if it'll say top 10 of the year, but it, it's definitely okay. one that, that will stick into my in my mind for, for quite a bit. I'm excited for our, our top movies of the year list. But oh, yeah. For now, is there, is there anything else um, for topics that are on the menu? <laughs> well, talk, speaking about the menu, um, I'm excited to hear your thoughts about a specific movie that I already saw uh, a couple <laughs> of weeks ago or, or some time ago. And that is the menu. Um, Blake, what were your thoughts on the menu? Um, wow. 
and oh my gosh, and holy cow, and then all the text messages I sent to people afterward, like, we got to see the menu, we got to see the menu, let me know once you see them, have you seen the menu yet? Um, I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was going to be more of a class consciousness movie, which it definitely has tones of that, sure. but it's more like the restaurant culture scene, high pressure people who are kind of creative have had trauma and how they exhibit that, like, um, I, I don't think, I don't, I, I don't, you let me know if you want to get into spoilers, but I won't do, do that unless, unless you go for it. But otherwise, great acting from, to me, the two of the, the of the main leads, Ray Fiennes, fantastic job. Love whatever mm-hmm. twilight of his career he's in now. Um, fantastic. I really like Nicholas Holt a lot. And this you was do. to me one of the better. Yeah. So he's in one of my favorite movies of all time, A Single Man. It was in my top okay. 10 forever. It's the okay. Tom Ford directed, starring Colin Firth, and right. he he's in that movie. Since then, I've just always been interested in whatever he's done. Um, this was one of the... It gave him the most acting to do of a lot of movies I've seen him in. He sure. often has simpler roles. Mm-hmm. This one, you, you kind of watch him go through it. Uh, and you watch everyone in this room go through it. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not quite... Um, what, what was the term you used earlier? Where it's a, chamber, it's in a single chamber film. Yeah, it's not quite a chamber film. It's more of like a pressure cooker of a film, and there are oh, things yeah. happening outside of it. But goodness gracious, overall, um, I was into it. And at times I was like, is this going to be horror? Is it going to just be mm-hmm. political commentary? Is it going to be like bodies, 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 where it's kind of a fake-out situation? And overall, I was really impressed by how well done it was, how well acted and well-written it was, and the the tone of the movie overall. Like, it was... From a director who isn't that established in my right. mind. Like, I, I don't yeah. know if I've seen and any of their other work has been so esteemed. But this one is definitely making some money uh, as far as indie movies go, which is a tough task in 2022. Sure. I'm glad people are seeing this one. And after walking out of the theater, I, I fully understood why. No, that's great. I, I'm so happy you had a chance to see it because I, I would say, like, this movie... Without really thinking about everything else that I saw, I can easily say that this probably cracked my top ten of the year. Um, okay. I was so I I really really enjoyed this movie a lot, and I love the fact that it also plays on the whole foodie culture um, aspect of it. Um, you know, I am a huge sucker for Anya Taylor Joy, and I thought she was definitely phenomenal in this movie. Of course, right, her interactions with Ray Fiennes, her interactions with Nicholas Holt. Um, I just love every little bit of aspect of it. I would love to talk spoilers about this movie with you. Perhaps we could save it in a, for another episode or, or something later on down the line. But it, this is definitely a movie that I think those I know who've seen it loved it. You know, and Those who yeah. haven't seen it probably don't know why they should watch it. And we're telling you right now, right. you should probably really watch it because it. W- w- seeing the trailers for this movie, it's kind of hard to really understand what they're trying to do. Um, it it, t- yep. it does r- ride that line between horror, thriller. Um, you know, there are definitely aspects within that, but it, it is definitely an intense movie. Now, not intense as far as like something like Uncut Gems or anything in, in that. In that line, line, but everything that happens in this movie happens for a specific reason, and the the fun thing was that understanding those reasons as the movie keeps going, 
Um, I think another person to mention in this movie too is uh, Hung Chao. Hung she, Chao. Oh my gosh. Oh, she's having a wonderful year. She is having a fantastic year. Uh-huh. Her performance in this, her performance in The Whale. Again, talk about actress who should be considered in some sort of category for Oscars. I won't be surprised if her name is brought up because she is having a fantastic year and her, and her portrayal as kind of like the the head waitress or I don't know what you want to call her, um, kind of like the right hand person to Ray Fiennes' chef. Um, phenomenal job. Phenomenal job. She was. Oh, from Downsizing. Did you see Downsizing, mm-hmm. the Matt Damon movie? Yeah. After watching that movie, I immediately Googled, like, what is everything this person has ever been in? And, oh, my gosh, what a performance. So glad that they're having a full breakout year mm-hmm. in movies that are getting a lot of respect. Hell, yeah. Um, there's also the – so I'm glad you shouted her out. There's also John Leguizamo, Arturo yes. Castro, uh, have played a really fun role. Um, and then another one from Succession, Rob Yang. Uh, mm-hmm. Really loved the the uh, the finance guys. That was a fun. The bros, yeah, the finance bros. Yeah, yep, that was a really fun one to watch them go through. Oh what yeah, happened to the people in the movie. Yeah, and uh, in the menu. Um, yeah, amazing cast. Pretty like it couldn't have been that high budget of a movie, other than just like the so. location. Probably yeah. it it was really fun to just like spend some time in a super fancy location that I probably won't be able to get to go to in my lifetime. And then, yeah, uh, overall you're absolutely right though. It was the marketing of it is a tough sell. Yeah. In some way they could just go like the near horror aspect and try to get mm-hmm. that audience. But overall, I think they, they're available to a wide open audience of it's kind of funny. It's kind of gruesome, but it's also just like a well done indie drama yeah. kind of thing going on at the same time. Really amazing performances, well-made. I had a friend who I asked, like, oh, because I know they're a foodie. I said, oh, did you see the menu yet? And they said, no. I said, they said, no, because it's a horror movie. I don't like, and I don't like horror movies. Yeah. This one was not. Whatever no. reason, I think someone going into it, because I was a little wary of, of what it might be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it essentially ended up being, I mean, you know, there's a couple scenes that, like, if you have a super sensitive stomach, maybe it's not for you. Sure. Um, I don't think I'll recommend it to my mom, for example. But almost everyone else in my life, it's not going to be like, I can't stomach any horror. And this one was totally fine. So I'm curious to see. I think that's part of why it's doing well is it's a movie that's people do enjoy. And it just needed some word of mouth. Exactly. Um, to, and, it, and as the word of mouth spreads, they go, oh, that's what that was. You recommend it. You know, oh, was it worse than this movie? No, no, it, it was it wasn't that. bad. OK, so now uh, that friend is going to go see it now after I told him, like, don't worry nice. about that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, again, it, like you said, the word of mouth is really helping this movie. I think the fact that it does talk about food really does help it, mm. too. I love everybody how... Everybody eats. Yeah, everybody eats. I'm So many people fell in love with, like, Chef's Table and all that stuff on Netflix. Yeah. And that really plays on that a lot. The funniest moments yeah. for me were when they were revealing the ingredients of the menu of the dishes... And when it starts getting really bizarre, <laughs> like I couldn't stop laughing. It was just so comical, and I wasn't the only one either. Like the the, the whole audience loved it and and ate it all up. <laughs> See what I did there? Nice. Um, yeah, nice. but uh, but yeah, no, I I cannot recommend this movie enough. And, and you're right, there are moments that are somewhat gruesome, 
kind of hard to look at, but they're so few and far in between. And when it yeah. does happen, it happens very quickly. So like if you're someone who just needs to like shy away from the screen for a brief moment without really missing anything, then you could easily do that in this in this film. Um, but yeah, no, I'm so happy you finally had a chance to see it. And I was I was curious if you were going to see it because I know how much you don't really like horror movies. And I felt like this was really, really marketing itself as a pure horror movie, which it's really not, as you saw. Yeah. No, no, not at all. Um, I really enjoyed this kind of movie where it's like there's some psychological, some heavy psychological tension. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Uncut Gems earlier as like the ones where it's just like it kind of it, it might put your stomach in knots for parts. But like people who deserve to be tortured being tortured is like one of the things where I'm like, I'm actually totally fine with this. It's whenever <laughs> it's like an innocent kid being tortured. I'm like, I'm not going to sure. see the room ever, for sure. example, like movies like this one, I was absolutely in on it. And it's, it's mm -hmm. like, um, there, there's a lot of movies like that where I'm not, I don't want to see certain kinds of violence, but in, in a different context, it's amazing. Yeah. And like, I'm applauding along to it. So this one, at least it always seemed earned anytime there was something kind of grotesque happening. Yeah. And it was done with an artful enough hand that it didn't feel gratuitous at any point. Uh, it was almost relieving to see things happen because there's a lot of like, what's really going on here? Tension building up. Right. And then once you start to figure it out, you're like, oh, this is awesome. Okay, hell yeah. And and at least it's over. The 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 what like there were some worst case scenarios in my mind that were mm -hmm. much uh worse than what actually happened on screen. So it was actually a bit of a relief when the bad things happened in this movie. It was it was done deftly by the director in that way. Oh yeah. And and um it, it kind of harkens back to another movie we talked about that came out this year too, Triangle of Sadness, right? Where you know, there there are people in there that really deserve to be treated the way they were treated because of whatever they're they're the way they they look upon people or you know they use their status for whatever reason and all that. Um, I'm curious, did you like the ending? Because the ending I thought was brilliantly done, but it was also it did follow a lot of typical tropes that you know people are familiar with when it comes to certain movies like this. So. Did you enjoy, did you see the ending coming or was this like completely a surprise to you? At some point in the movie, I realized I should stop playing the guessing game because it was only mm -hmm. going to make it less enjoyable. Yeah. Um, I can't really talk too much about the ending without doing sure. spoilers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But overall, I was satisfied. I was very as satisfied as someone eating a cheeseburger. I was very satisfied by the ending of this movie. There was something really lovely about the there's there is a message there and yeah. it's not like a message movie necessarily if someone's no. worried it'll hit them over the head with political anti you know pro-class struggle concepts or whatever it's not doing that but it, it is speaking to some basic human truths and i like yeah. the way that the movie put a bow on it without it being um too simple of, of a story mm -hmm. or like too cheesy of an ending yeah right i no, thought that, that was well done as well no, that makes sense. Yeah. If, if there was one message that I would say that this movie really puts out there, and this is something that I even mentioned in my letterbox review, is be kind to your service people. Just be kind Always. to them. Always. Always. <laughs> Always. Or don't go or don't eat. It's up to you. Or don't eat one out. Or yeah. Don't eat out. Yeah. yeah. Just just Or don't eat at all. No, no, no. Yeah. And also stop breathing. <laughs> You're gonna be mean to service people. Just, just stop. Just stop. Right. Yeah. No, yeah. No, again, I'm so happy you saw it. Uh 
let us know in the comments if uh, The Menu was a movie you had a chance to catch at, uh, earlier when it came out or even now because it's actually one of those few movies that are still hanging out you know, in the in the theaters right now. I'm um, not sure exactly when it's going to come out on streaming or if it's available for rent just as of yet, but highly, I can't recommend this movie enough. So let, let us know in the comments if this is a movie that you are planning to check out or if you did so already, let us know your thoughts and feelings about all of that. So, hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode so far, but before we continue, I wanted to quickly talk about Bulletproof Coffee. Bulletproof Coffee is my favorite coffee of choice to start off my mornings with. Why? Because it's clean coffee. What does that mean? Well, one, there are no chemicals in it. Why? Because they go through this multi-step process of making sure that all of their beans are fully clean and free of any chemicals so that when you get the beans delivered to you, it is the pure beans, the pure coffee, the goodness that you've been wanting, the taste, the flavor, and the nutritional value as well without worrying about any added chemicals or anything else put into the mix there. It also doesn't have that weird acidic taste that some coffees give you. I don't know how about you but for me some coffees kind of give me that weird sensation in my stomach makes me a little burpy and it kind of drags me down a little bit instead of really waking me up uh, which is something that I need for my coffee every day bulletproof also offers a lot of keto friendly snacks and supplements anything that you need to kind of add to your everyday nutritional needs add to your diet pretty much transforms the way you feel every day so for a limited time if you use this code on that you see on the screen right now lowkeygeek all caps, one word, you can get 15% off your order. So what is it better than that, right? Check out the link in the description of this episode. Use this code, get yourself your discount, and make your mornings a little bit more bulletproof with Bulletproof Coffee. Now, back to the episode. I think it's time to talk about our main movie for the week, don't you think? The main course? The main course. I'm ready. Yes, yeah, we, you had your appetizer. You had your, uh, you know, your uh, first course, second course. Now I think it's time for the 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 grand, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I'm doing really bad with the, these food puns. I, so. I'm all about it. We're <laughs> take cut to it. We're talking about Babylon Five, the franchise we did a whole marathon. absolutely, yeah. Babylon That's Five. What, that was the assignment, was, right? Yeah, it was uh, one of those rare sci-fi series that, you know, I think it's very underrated. No, No. and everyone just immediately clicked off. Oh, there it goes. No, but the, the, the main movie of the week is the new release for The Weeknd, Babylon. It is the latest movie from Damien Chazelle, who is kind of like rose up in in the ranks of directors uh in a very short period of time you know he made a splash with whiplash <laughs> that sounded kind of funny um but you know that's <laughs> sorry i'm sorry i totally apologize but he yeah whiplash came out everyone was talking about that movie then la la land came out and that was a huge topic of conversation for the year it came out especially in the oscars when they had that little uh incident when it came to best picture uh, then he did First Man um, a little after that. And this is his fourth movie, if I am to be correct in saying so, right? If you're counting the, the main releases, yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so Damien Chazelle has his... Uh, it's interesting to look at his filmography uh, because you could kind of see where his passions lie, right? Whiplash dealt a lot with music, especially jazz. Uh, which is also covered in La La Land, but then La La Land also covered his love for musicals in general and Hollywood. 
Um, then first man covered the story of was it Neil Armstrong, um, the the first man on the moon. Uh, or first man out of space, starring starring Ryan Gosling. No Ryan Gosling again, right? Yeah. So obviously he has a fondness for that era and for maybe space. We don't know yet. Maybe his next movie is going to be a sci-fi movie. Who knows? Or uh, jazz in space. Jazz in space. Yeah. You know. We'll see. Why not? Uh, but in this movie, he definitely plays homage to the early beginnings of Hollywood silent film era. You know, and the transition from that to the talkies, to, you know, sound and picture and all that. But he also pays homage to kind of the industry in general and the fantasticalism of it all, the debauchery that happens behind the scenes. The and, You know, it's if you were to take La La Land and make it more raw and grittier, that's basically what you got with Babylon. And instead of two characters, you're following now three. And basically, you're seeing a, a very typical story that we've seen before of the rise and fall of people in this industry when they have certain passions um, of the industry. Now, we, we take these three people, main characters, out of different points in their lives. You know, you have the aging actor who falls out because of the change of the times. You have this... A uh, person who is just hunger for stardom and and the limelight, you know, who unfortunately can't handle it. Um, you know, so you see the rise and fall of that person. And then you have someone who just has the love and passion of being creative and how an industry like this can kind of eat you up and kind of make you forget about your humble beginnings and all that stuff like that. So, again, we've seen stories like this before, um, but th- this is really said and and told through a more raw and kind of grittier lens, right? Uh, which is, I did find to be kind of surprising coming from Damien because, you know, his movies were always kind of more uh, upbeat, so to speak. Uh, I mean, yeah, there are moments within Whiplash that are kind of like hard to watch, especially with the treatment of, you know, the student and all that. But this is just like, you multiply this by 100, yeah, you know, it's just you see so many of the the sins of the industry being being portrayed and all that stuff. It, it, after watching the movie, I do have to say, I beg the question: Does he love Hollywood or does he like shitting on it? <laughs> you know, because it, you could see that there's a love for Hollywood and the, the history of Hollywood, but he takes a lot of swings at all the stuff that happens behind the scenes and really, really. Uh, puts that in the forefront. Um, so it, it is kind of hard to see. This movie has also been getting a lot of mixed reactions and reviews. Um, some call it messy. Some call it, you know, kind of like ridiculous. It is one thing I will say, it is extremely long. It's like three hours and nine minutes. And it does suffer from, you know, the Lord of the Rings a problem where it just doesn't know when to end. It just keeps going and going towards the end. Plus, we get treated to this abstract, crazy 2001 montage of like film, film, film and colors and all that stuff like that. I don't know where this was going with, with all of that or where he was going with that. Maybe you can shed. I know you could shed more light. I'm so on, excited on all that. about that yeah. moment. Okay. Because that that threw me for a loop, it really did, and I and I think also because I was just wondering when is this movie going to end, so I think I I kind of got checked out at that time, 
Um, and then I was just like, what the hell is, is going on here? Um, but I will say the performances were very, very outstanding. Brad Pitt was great. Margot Robbie. I mean, if you don't know how good of an actress she is by now, I mean, this movie just, she just puts herself in all of these vulnerable positions and just really puts it out there. And Diego Calva, who is someone that I'm not familiar with at all. I don't know what he's been in before in the past, but he was so, so good in this movie. Um, very, very appreciate, very, very, I very much loved his performance there. Um, before we started re- recording, we were also mentioning another actress that stood out. Um, and that is uh, Lee Jun Lee Jun Lee, who I'm not familiar with at all, but she is definitely one of the, I would say, uh, actresses, uh, performances that uh, do uh, shine bright in throughout this movie. Um, and like I said, no one in this movie had a happy ending, so to speak. Um, it was all very melancholy towards the end. Um, but it, you're basically just going through the journey of the good times, the questionable times, and then the downfall of it all, right? And it was just oh, yeah. like, it was like a roller coaster ride of all that. Um, so yeah, so the, I, I would say that I was entertained, but I don't think this is definitely, I would put this as one of his better movies uh, if you looked at his filmography as a whole. Um, last criticism I have, I'll mention really quick before I, I throw it off to you. I do feel like it parallels La La Land quite a bit as far as like story beats are concerned. And the soundtrack sounded very similar to La La Land. If you are very familiar with the La La Land soundtrack like I am, at at many moments throughout the film, like this sounds like La La Land. And yeah, the, he, he used the same composer, uh, Justin Hurwitz, I believe, is the the composer of the film, um, but it's just, it's starting to sound like this person has a has a one track mind when it comes to composing music because it really does sound very similar to La La Land, and I was just like, wow, uh, not very original in in my opinion. But like, uh, what were your thoughts on on Babylon uh, when you when you watched it? Okay, um, of the things that you did not like about it are apparently the things that I very much loved about it, and. <laughs> I did like most of the acting performances, but that's basically my biggest beef with it. Okay. Um, I, I'll, I'll get to my score in a second, but overall, I really enjoyed this movie a mm. lot. I don't know. We I feel like we keep saying a thing like, um, this movie is made for Blake and sure. a Blake-type audience. But I'm noticing when I'm looking at scores is, yes, I've heard mixed reviews. I've heard people really not liking it or feeling like, okay, it tried to do something cool, but it, it flopped. Yeah. So on Metacritic and Rotten Tomatoes, we're looking at 55, uh, 59 and 55% respectively. Ouch. But on Letterboxd, it's 3.9 stars, which is a damn that's, good score. That's good. Like, yeah, that is good. Four is like classic movies, and like 4.2 is like among the greatest scores you could possibly get on that app. Yeah. So I, I'm thinking this might be one of more of a cult classic of his movies. And mm-hmm. La La Land is an example of one that was beloved by audiences and critics overall and then hasn't aged that well as people look back and it kind of feels a little cornier or sure. uh, whatnot. I think this, <laughs> one of the comps I have for it is like nightmare alley of mm. really well done movie by an established director that gets into some like pretty gnarly, dark psychological concepts, mm-hmm. but is otherwise like about inter- the entertainment industry in, in another yeah. way. And yeah. um, 
know we're not doing spoilers yet, but like at, 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 as as we get closer to the end, that was one of my problems with the movie, which I actually think it makes the movie more successful at what it's trying to do. But all the fun times are kind of front loaded in the beginning, yeah. and all the bad times are kind of back loaded at the end. And it's it's oh, a yeah. similar issue I have with a lot of music biopics where oh everything's going great, we're having fun, this person has a come up. They're number one on the radio. They're living their best life. And then Mm -hmm. they start doing cocaine. And next thing you know, the next hour and a half are just the worst thing you've ever (laughs) seen in your entire life. Um, Yeah. This movie definitely has that to where literally halfway through, I texted a friend going, you're going to love this movie. Uh, When I had to go to the bathroom inevitably because it's so long. And literally afterward, I was like, actually, maybe don't because I know how they are with like miserable, sad, all like just some of the things that got into at the end were, sure. were pretty gnarly. Yeah. One thing people, a lot of reviews mentioned about this movie is the elephant shitting moment. And it's in like headlines <laughs> for this movie. They called it like somebody tried to call it an elephant turd of a movie or something like that. Yeah. That feels like something where the person watched 10 minutes and already made up their mind in some way. Because uh, there's a lot else happening. Even in the first few minutes, there's also um, a woman pissing in a man's mm-hmm. mouth. There's sex, nudity. Later, there's a fake-out puke scene. I thought, like, okay, we're getting spared. Nope. Then later, after that, there was a huge puke scene. Huge puke scene, um, yeah. Incredible. It, it is one of those, like, uh, certain critics who have weaker stomachs might not enjoy that or mm-hmm. appreciate it. If it was just for its own sake, I think that that's, like, that's gratuitous, right? Yeah, it, it's getting at something greater. I know that for sure, and I'm, I'll tie it in a little later. I, I, we're not there's not too much theory. This is mm-hmm. more on the surface what you get kind of movie. But there is to me what the movie's getting at and what it's saying, which I'll tie that aspect of it in with the scene at the end, which was like the abstract sure. film uh, montage moment. Um, and I thought the way that tied together was beautiful. But in the meantime, one thing that's happening is you're seeing a certain character who just spits the entire time that they're on screen. And there's like <laughs> farting noises at different times yeah. or burping yeah. or whatever. One thing it's is happening. And, and there's a time where it's used as almost too obvious of a joke. They're talking about talkies yes, and no one wants to hear sound in film. And then you hear somebody fart in the back or a toilet flush or something like that. Just like very um, timely, like at that moment. Yeah. Precise. Yeah. It was a very much a moment. Yep. Mm-hmm. The, this now I'll touch on some of the things you talked about, but overall, I love Golden Age Hollywood, Jazz Age. That era is interesting to me. This movie did not overly romanticize those things, and I think no. a lot of movies do. They act like Golden Age Hollywood is some pure, pristine, perfect place where everything was singing in the rain and and uh, somewhere over the rainbows. This movie dealt with the more the underbelly of that mm-hmm. and my my overall thought leaving the theater was this is someone who in 2016 they had the la la land controversy mm-hmm. where i think the line from uh, after warren buffett gives the award to la la land for best picture War- warren celebrating Bain. on stage so, thank you yeah not warren buffett. That, <laughs> that, would that would be a whole different presentation What's warren buffett doing here? <laughs> Uh, when Warren Beatty, thank you, gives the uh, word accidentally to La La Land, they're on stage celebrating, and then you watch it get ripped away. And the the line uh, from the stage is, there's been a mistake, mm-hmm. Moonlight, you won Best Picture. And then this person goes through that moment where they have 
you know, they did win Best Director early in the evening. Yeah. Uh, Damien Chazelle is the youngest director to ever win Best Director. This is someone who is uniquely qualified to talk about because they are also a musician and in Mm -hmm. that world. And so that's part of why the score is going to sound like that and why it is dealing with that jazz uh, age era music and why the score uh, that you didn't like. I enjoyed it. I thought it was a bop. It did remind me of La La Land. I didn't have a problem with that. I really liked that aspect of it. And especially since it was truer to these times than La La Land, which was making a separate commentary about the good old days. Mm -hmm. And this movie almost, in some ways, is a response to some issues that people have with La La Land. Mm -hmm. The lack of diversity and the way that all land yes. took something. I'm, I'm glad that, you're bringing that up because I did want to bring that up also. But yeah, keep going. Yeah, it's like it's almost in some ways not necessarily even an apology for La La Land, but it's almost a commentary on those things that are issues within La La Land. Whereas La La Land whitewashes a black art form of jazz mm-hmm. music in some ways. This movie in kind of goes the other way with it and saying like, no, things were not great back then. People were mistreated, and here's what that could have looked like. And Mm. the golden age of Hollywood, this romantic, beautiful spectacle, there were horrible things happening, which, like, the movie Blonde gets into that to a degree, this thing that's sensationalized and, like, everything's shown with the the nice, uh, glossy, old Hollywood cameras, and you you can't see the details too clearly, and it's so romantic, and there's a a beautiful fog. And No, uh, there were horrible things happening if you look a little bit closer. And Mm -hmm. this movie definitely deals with those things hands-on. This is a director who had that La La Land moment. And then we all go through a time where we're kind of locked up. And a lot of directors are doing the movies where they look internally a little bit more. And spend a little more time in their heads. And it's possible that this movie is, in a way, a response to the issues of La La Land. And also a response to that feeling you get when this thing that you're obsessed with and passionate about and overly romanticized and okay, I finally made it. I'm the youngest director to win best picture. And then the best picture, uh, best director, then the best picture gets ripped away from me. And then he's thinking, has a lot of time on his hands to think about the industry that he's in and this thing that he is very much in love with. And it makes sense that this movie, I don't think of it as shitting on Hollywood. I think of it as, this is why I love the ending so much. It's essentially I love this thing, and here it is as it really is, like as its whole self, its whole picture, the the grossness, the farts, and the burps, and then the montages from some of the greatest Hollywood movies of all time. And I, the it makes me want to cry, and I love it at the same time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so basically, it encapul- encapsulates everything that he hates and loves about Hollywood all in the quick couple of minutes right because like I, I guess we could we could start going into more spoiler territory here and talk about the ending and all that uh, because it, I think it is necessary to do so to explain what we're talking about but basically like I said everyone this is a roller coaster of like three main characters their ups and downs and how the ending of the movie there's no really happy moment except maybe for this brief moment from uh, Diego Calva's character of Manny um you know, Brad Pitt commits suicide because he is like pretty much washed out. Uh, depressed. Depressed. Nothing means yeah. anything. Yeah. Pointless. 
it was never yeah. able to make that transition to talkies. Uh, you know, it got to the point where they were suggesting he did theater to to know how to really you know have discussions and talk more and perform with his voice and all that. But he refused to do so. Um, so he he commits suicide. Margot Robbie. Uh, who is in the downward spiral because she has so many vices that she can't control. You know, Manny tries so hard to save her, proposes to her, basically, and then she just can't seem to stop. And then she just walks off into the into the darkness. Later on, we find out that she was found dead somehow, kind of almost like a like a more tragic Marilyn Monroe situation and all that kind of stuff like that. And then Manny, who starred in very humble beginnings, um, just wanted to be creative and, and have more things to do in the industry, gets a shot, all of a sudden becomes a producer, executive producer, like calling the shots and all that. But then he forgets about where everyone, you know, like I said, his humble beginnings. And then he ends up, because he's trying to save Margot's, you know, from all of her vices, you know, gets caught up in this weird uh, exchange between like uh, Toby Maguire's character who plays this really like grotesque. Uh, like, was he a mafia guy or was he just an overly rich dude that just had all these weird, you know, vices and all that stuff? He had Margot Robbie's character owed him money. Sure. Yeah. And there were going to be consequences if she didn't pay. My understanding right. is he's kind of a crime boss dude. Okay. Um, okay. Or at least the money behind something like that. And right. just in the middle of the underbelly, basically. Okay. Yeah. So Which, basically, yeah. Well, oh, go ahead. I'm glad you mentioned. Yeah. It's, if it's okay, there's a couple other characters yeah, that yeah, aren't yeah. the main three. I think there's there's two interesting things to say here. One is you did mention earlier Lee Jun Lee, and I also want to mention the uh, I think it was trumpet, right, for Jovan mm-hmm. Adepo, the, um, the the jazz musician. Yeah. And these two, so one is Diego Calva, Lee Jun Lee, and Jovan Adepo are all actors of color, um, and you have an Asian actor, a Latinx actor, and a black actor, and the, I it's almost like Damien Chazelle after the BLM movement and thinking more mm-hmm. about representation and after La La Land, it's almost like, cause we're, I'm looking over their credits. I don't recognize anything no. from their credits. Uh, these are at least we can say they're not as established as the Brad Pitt's and Margot Robbie's of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're given pretty important and powerful roles in the film. Yeah. And in a way, these are the characters that avoid the terrible fates of the other characters, yeah. which is, I think the other thing to get into when we're recapping, but all three did an incredible job in their roles. And it yep. was an opportunity to give to apparently well-deserving actors of some pretty meaty roles. Some There's yeah. some real drama happening for all three, even though they don't all have as much screen time as uh, Diego Calva, who I, I think of as the lead of this movie, at least the main, even though they might not, I don't know if they have as much screen time as everyone else. Uh, they are in that, that top three. But mm-hmm. I do think that, Diego Calva's character, Manny, is the one driving most of it and is definitely there at the end of the movie. But all three of these, their fates end up a little bit differently. I think kind of there's a version of of this story where the people who didn't have a healthy relationship with fame and their vices, etc., their stories end up pretty bad. And it's something people say about fame is that, you know, it'll bring out the whatever's in you. It'll just make you more of, of a version of yourself. Yeah. All three, I think, turned out 
not the happiest people in the world. They weren't, you know, number one forever, which I think is mm-hmm. another thing that this movie kind of addresses is the churn of Hollywood yeah. and what that does to people. But all three, it, unless I'm missing something in the plot, all three had some tough moments in their career. And all three at least came out pretty unscathed and like doing pretty well for themselves at the end of it. And were able to make an honest living in a dishonest world. Um, there, there, there might be more uh, to be said and pulled out from there, but I just wanted to make sure we mentioned that while we're recapping yeah, the yeah, terrible yeah. fates of of a couple of the main characters. No, for sure. Um, and, and I'll get more into like my thoughts on those two because I think that the, they definitely were the characters and the performances that I enjoyed the most in this movie. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, at the, at the end of the movie, like Diego. He, because of this run and he had with Tobey Maguire, you know, basically he gives them fake money to kind of help cover uh, the cost of whatever Margot owed, um, is basically asked to leave town and never come back. Flash forward so many years afterwards, he finally returns to L.A. with his family and he goes into a movie theater just to catch a film that he has. He hasn't been to the theater in a very long time, he says. And as he's watching a movie, he goes through this like, a spiritual journey within himself about all the things that he's experienced, all the things that he's seen, the people that he ran into, the people that he knew. And then it goes into like all the greatest films of history and all the avatar was shown in this whole montage. So we have Tron Tron was in this. So yeah, big shout outs to like some of the sci-fi greats. 2001 was in here, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But in, in, with all the pain and suffering that he experienced in the industry, he also, like you said, realizes how much he loves the magic of movies and what it, uh, that feeling you get when you actually see the product on screen and how it affects people and how it brings out, you know, the laughter, the tears, the joys. The Nicole Kidman speech was basically portrayed in this quick three to five to four uh, four minute montage of, you know, everything felt good at that moment. And then as he's crying, he smiles at the end because, again, it's the love of the film and all that. Now, hearing you explain it, obviously, it makes more sense to me now um, than it did uh, when I first saw it. But I thought it was definitely very abstract. And it was definitely one of those moments where I'm like, is he being a little bit pretentious at this moment? You know, like I I just, you know, again, there's a lot of things that come up to my mind because many times throughout this movie, I was not sure what he was trying to say. Because again, it's like I said, there's a debate. Does he love the industry and the history of it or does he hate it? And if it's a reflection of everything that he's experienced himself and this is his response to all that, and his response to La La Land, that actually makes a lot more sense now, if I if I think of it under that lens. Um, and maybe a lot of people haven't thought about that, you know, and haven't really taken that into consideration, you know, and all, especially given that he's such a young director. Like, why is this young dude, like, going through uh, a midlife crisis about the industry and the industry that he works <laughs> in and all that, right? So I guess that's one thing that could be said. But to bring it back and talk about uh, Giovanna Depo and Lee Jun Lee's characters. I, I love the fact because, again, I am very familiar with the whole whitewashing of his movies and how his movies have all been prominently white centered and all that. Now, to have 
these two characters go through some of the more serious moments within the film. Serious, but also kind of background, you know, which is never like in the forefront, which is so fascinating to me. Jovan, uh, Jovan plays a character called Sidney Palmer, who is a jazz musician who we saw very much early on in the beginning of the film where he lives basically what looks like a hostel or a, 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 like a, an apartment that's shared by like 10 different people. And he sleeps on chairs, you know, just to you know wake up the next day and perform for this you know, rich person or whatever the case is. He gets a shot at the movie industry and then realizes very quickly about how he's a part of a, a product and a part of a marketing ploy and try to get like more people of the black community to watch film and how, and how there was a moment where he was too light skinned compared to all of his background characters and how he act actually had to put blackface on. And that was very, very difficult to watch. I thought that was very, very hard because we all know that this really happened back in the day. And this is something that they actually did. Then Lee Jun Lee's character, who is not only Asian, but she's also um, gay. You know, she's a lesbian. And the fact that, you know, she had her moment in, in the spotlight. And then just because of her relationship with Margot Robbie's character, you know, was told by the studio, you can't have this anymore because we need to focus on her and she needs to have a better reputation in the eyes of the community and the eyes of the film goers and, and like the movie going audiences and all that. And you are now forbidden seeing her. And basically her career kind of tanked after that. And, you know, but at the end of the movie, at the end of the film, Sydney was able to go back to his roots, go and play jazz for like a really respected uh, jazz, you know, listeners and, and goers. And he feels more at home in that situation. And you have uh, she plays a character, Anna Mae Wong, Anna being able to go to Europe and start a new life over there. And it sounds like they were able to get away scot-free as, you know, compared to. Brad Pitt's character, Margot's character, and then, you know, I guess there's something that could be said about Diego's character that, you know, he may have gone through a lot of stuff, but at the end, he has a family and, he, you know, he seems to be doing okay for himself. But yeah, it's... If there was one quick through line as to what how to describe this movie, it's basically how the Hollywood industry can, you know, take you in and spit you out in, in a blink of an eye, really, you know, and... Mm -hmm. That's a hard, hard pill to swallow sometimes, um, especially if you're not, you know, ready for that realization. You know what I mean? Uh, I was just going to say, like, was there anything else that we didn't cover that like stood out? I mean, we haven't even spoke about uh, Jean Smart's character of Eleanor St. John, yeah. um, who I, I thought she was very delightful every time she was on screen. Um, what were your thoughts about her performance? The, I mean, there was there were a bunch of performances in this movie it was a really well cast movie and i think that's kind oh, of yeah. one of the beauties of when you're someone like damien chazelle and you have that pedigree people want to work with you uh we mentioned earlier that we didn't even recognize olivia wilde in the role yeah um <laughs> until until after the fact and then another one of my favorites was spike jones mm. putting on a thick accent going fully shaved head huge eyebrows and uh, just being a, a bizarro film director yeah. There were a couple really fun um, uh, characters doing that, where it is doing a, a it's doing a bit of a piss take uh, on the industry and making fun of it and how 
absurd, but I also think to some degree that was true where it was a bit more of a carnival back in the day mm. and they had it figured out, okay, here's how a studio should be set up. Right. And right. we need to have it more organized. And there's just like a character dies and they go, okay, what do we want to do with the body? Or sorry, <laughs> like an extra dies in a war scene and they're trying to figure out what do we do with the body? Oh, uh, we could say he was drinking and he ran into the, the pole. Uh, okay, yeah, so let's get him out of here. That whole yeah. that whole part was so absurd. How basically they they had this like area in the desert or whatever the case is, and they're filming at least six different movies in, at once in this one location, and the madness that ensues all over the place. It, that whole thing was just so nuts and so crazy. And and then we're going from that, and they show, and that is one of my favorite moments in the movie because it's so chaotic and over yeah. the top. And there's times where I'm actually like having to remind myself that they're in a current film setting showing this because I'm going like, yep. someone needs to be careful because someone will die in the making of the movie Babylon, but obviously that's not going to happen. <laughs> and then they also near the end of the movie during that same montage you were talking about um, of of the history of films. So the reason why he's seeing a movie is he shows his daughter. Uh, Manny, the main character, shows his daughter where he used to work and his wife. Yeah. And they show the lot and how organized it is mm-hmm. and what Hollywood later became and what a powerful industry, which is hinted at. But a lot of the movie is set in the early days of that, where that is not clear yet mm-hmm. how big of a deal Hollywood is. Until at some point yeah. Brad Pitt's character is telling his Broadway actress wife, how many people go see one of your shows? In our world, that's a flop. Mm-hmm. But the way they show um, the modern uh, kinescope, uh, modern at that time, so I think that that scene's going to be in the 50s. Um, they're showing that the what the studio system and the lots look like. They also then use a similar camera movement to show the audience and all the people's faces until yeah. we go back to Diego Calva's Manny character weeping, thinking about essentially like all of the beauty and that. The, all of the everything that he had experienced, the tragedy mm-hmm. in support of uh, of Hollywood and seeing yeah. what it became later. The fact that they he's even crying like raindrops to the yeah. song Singing in the Rain, which is a uh-huh. song that they had done earlier at one of the first talkies at, that he was there for. It was absolutely incredible. Um, I did, I did just tangent because I know um, on, on extras, there's a few other incredible ones. I always love Chloe Fineman in anything. Yes, um, yes. It was so nice to see her in this movie. She, I, as an SNL fan, I always love seeing that. Yeah. Um, and Max Mangella did a great job. It was a pretty small role, but fantastic work there. And then mm-hmm. another one that people are talking about is Samara Weaving's character playing opposite Margot Robbie for part, in part of the movie. And that also being a commentary on all of the people talking about how much Samara Weaving looks like Margot Robbie. Right. And there being that little, like, uh, kind of like the, the movie's playing into that as if it were a feud right. in this movie. Um, the, the only other uh, cameo I think that I need to mention is, I guess, Jeff Garland's a fun one. I'm going through the cast. It is stacked. It's so Jeff deep. Garland it is really so deep. One. Yeah. Uh, Ethan Soupley, who uh, gets a, a, a giant uh, weapon in his neck. Yep. That was really fun. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, PJ Byrne, who I'd only seen in a couple things, playing, um, I guess, the assistant director on Margot Robbie's first character's first movie here. Mm-hmm. Um, they did a great job. I remember them mainly from Wolf of Wall Street. And then one of my favorite comedians is Rory Scoville. And seeing, at first I thought they just had one throwaway line, but then they ended up having a character who was at least a big part of the arc with the fake money. 
Um, love seeing Rory Scovel in a movie, but to me, the main cameo worth mentioning is Flea. That was, <laughs> uh, it's always a treat to see Flea because he'll he'll do this every now and then in his career, just pop up in a Hollywood movie. had had enough lines and actually did pretty well. He actually I remember did really going, well. Like, Who yeah. is this? There's a lot of charisma coming from this guy. He's very believable. Who? Oh, right, that's Flea. Um, overall, the the sad part to me the only thing that I couldn't really get over is I didn't love the Brad Pitt of it all. Mm. I thought I would. I can't even describe what I didn't like about the performance. To some degree, Brad Pitt is playing a corny actor or mm. someone who's not a great actor. And it's, I, I do enjoy it when someone who's capable of great acting is so good at, they're able to play someone doing a bad job at acting or a bad mm. job at lying. In this one, I just didn't, fully believe in his character as a larger than life presence, the way it did work for me in a movie, which in some ways is comparable, like once upon a time in Hollywood or even um, the Coen brothers movie burn after reading where he plays a ridiculous person. I know Brad Pitt's capable of pulling this off. Something about this one fell flat other than Brad Pitt though, which um, I was trying to look, I was watching it during it. Like would George Clooney have been able to, would that have been a better casting for this role, which George Clooney has a, Hollywood, a, a role in a Hollywood, old Hollywood send up of Inhale Caesar, another mm. Coen Brothers movie. Absolutely yeah. nailed that as a similar, that type of actor in old Hollywood. Um, everyone else to me crushed, and I think Margot Robbie, this might be, I can't say it'll be one of my favorite movies of hers, but maybe one of the most successful performances of, of her career to date, where she's showing her full range um, and, and is if not the main star, at least one of the biggest powerhouses in this movie sure. with the most to do. Mm-hmm. Fantastic watching that. Um, but yeah, overall, I loved every single performance in this movie. So now that it's out and people are having a chance to see it, um, I guess two things. Let's talk about really quick. What was the audience reaction when you were watching it? Because um, mine was interesting. Um, and when it comes to Oscar time, like what, who, how will this play into that whole discussion? So I'll say first, I saw it very early in the afternoon on a Thursday um, in Queens. So, um, you know, you have people who are either retired you know going to watch a movie uh people who probably work from home going to watch a movie people who are probably just left school going to watch a movie and all that stuff like that so my audience was definitely very mixed i i did find it very interesting that i did find a lot of the an older generation in my theater watching this movie and i think again it speaks to maybe the fascination or curiosity of hollywood the old time Hollywood being portrayed or, or told in a movie setting or all that cases. Um, I heard some chuckles every now and then. Um, I think the majority of it, uh, people, I think we're not sure what they watched. And that was the mm-hmm. feeling that I got from everything. Again, I'm not surprised, especially, you know, seeing how a lot of critics have been rating this movie and all that. Um, what was your experience like in the theater? I mean, you saw it in the city, right? Yeah. Uh, no, I saw it in Times Square on 3 p.m. Friday, which for most office workers, this is uh, – uh, that's not entirely true. A lot of a people holiday are off weekend. today. 
Mm-hmm. Monday is the definite you're off because Christmas is Sunday, but we have uh, Christmas Eve off. And I know a lot of people do. Yeah. If this is what it's like on 3 p.m. on Saturday of the holiday weekend, it, it's not good because the theater was probably a quarter full, maybe Yikes. less. Wow. Um, so overall, and then the, the other problem is the audience was similarly engaged as yours. Mm. I went with a buddy who's worked behind the scenes on film productions before and I understand some of the pain of some of these characters a little bit. Uh, there was a few scenes in particular he was eating up when it was the ridiculousness of the first talkie they were trying to make yeah. and the painstaking keeping repeating it and then oh someone sneezes and the director loses their mind and then he it, that one he loved. Overall, I and the friend ate this movie up. We both said five stars out of five, which is my score when wow. we walked out. And we were laughing throughout and having that kind of like, oh my gosh, feeling like, I can't mm. believe I'm seeing this on a screen. This is incredible. Well done. Mind being blown. And almost no other sound, even laughter from anyone yeah. in the audience at any point. There's a couple chuckles. Other than that, it was mainly, I think, confusion. And maybe people were either dumbfounded or bored or they didn't under... This might be more of a movie for Hollywood insiders, which now I'm going to transition over to like your question about the Oscars uh, and and award season stuff. Mm -hmm. This might be because like Letterboxd giving it 3.9 is a great score. And then the ones where it's critics on Metacritic and then fans and critics giving it lower Mm -hmm. scores. That that I cannot tell what the Oscars will do. I wouldn't be shocked if people inside of the industry, similar to my buddy, would who are going to make up the Oscar voters, for example, if they would love this movie because it's kind of taking the piss on their industry and their frustrations with it and sure. the things they have to reconcile with. It, a, lo- a large part of this movie is about the exploitation of Hollywood and what it does to individuals. Mm-hmm. I can imagine someone loving that, but then... The rub of uh, the usual rule of movies about movies do well at the Oscars. This one isn't necessarily about glory days of Hollywood. It's in a way the opposite. It is about that, but it also shows both sides. So I honestly cannot tell if this will be considered as a flop and get Mm. zero Oscar nominations kind of movie that's just people act like it didn't exist. I'd be surprised if it didn't get at least a few. I My gut says it will be one of those movies that's nominated fairly heavily that the average film goer didn't like and says, why am I, why is this at the Oscars and why are they spending so much time talking about this movie? My gut says this movie will age pretty well once people kind of think about it some more mm-hmm. and, and maybe some of the initial reactions where someone's just grossed out by the things they saw on screen. Yeah. Um, once that shock goes away, I think people might, view it more clearly and it might age more favorably in their minds i'm not sure if that's the case but kind of like where you and i talk about it and by the end of the conversation we realize we enjoyed it more that happens to some people Mm -hmm. um overall i have a feeling okay my favorite thing about the movie uh which i haven't mentioned yet briefly is the editing and the sound editing to me were phenomenal. Mm-hmm. This movie uses moments of quiet and moments of sound and quick, fast editing with long takes and slow scenes. And it is very, some someone, I was reading a review where they were saying it was chaotic. I do not think of it as chaotic at all. I think it was very intentionally timed. And I found 
rhythm of the score, which I think might be another nomination, be I, I found it to be successful and it definitely had me like going along with it when it wanted to, but then there would just be out of nowhere in the middle of a beat of a song mm-hmm. or in the middle of a very intense action, uh, there's a chase scene at some point. It just cuts and is immediately a slow moment mm-hmm. that is done comedically, in my opinion. I found those to be successful to where I literally cracked up at a moment because of the way the sound and the film editing were done. Mm-hmm. I thought it was successful in that way. It's possible if someone doesn't get it and they're not appreciating it for what it is, they might think it was like, why did you choose to cut there? That was a terrible choice. You should have waited until the action was done. Mm-hmm. I know it was done on purpose. Damien Chazelle's too good of a craftsman to, to do that on accident. But someone might not appreciate it. So if it's going to get anything, I think those are a few of, of uh, options for what it could get. I think... Um, I don't think it'll get screenplay. I think it could. I, similar to White Noise, this might be one of those where I'm rating it more favorably than just about everybody else. <laughs> um, I would give Margot Robbie a actress, you might say supporting to make it easier for her to get in, but I would say an acting nomination for Margot Robbie would be due. Mm-hmm. And then also it's worth mentioning Diego Calva as a nomination for best actor for this movie. That would be a really fun one. Uh, the Oscars, usually there's a one or two underdogs that ha- aren't well-established in the industry that get nominated. And those are my favorite red carpet interviews and people rooting for that person. Especially if they give a speech, those are usually the best speeches of every uh, awards night is the person who is just glad to be there and floored that this is their life now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, that would be really cool to see. Um, I'm not sure what else I, I could see. Personally, I might put it on my best director shortlist. I'm very excited for our, our next episode when we talk about the year in review because it'll it'll allow me to some time to like reconcile my thoughts. Sure. You know how I take those things seriously. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, I, I don't know what I don't think we're talking best picture. I would put it in mine. I doubt it makes does that well. But again, it, it's it's a polarizing movie, and I could see it going fully one way or fully the other we'll see yeah. what do you what do you yeah. think buddy um i think when it comes to the the whole oscar conversation um well i think technical the technical categories are probably more favorable from this movie because like you said the the editing the cinematography was actually very very nice in this movie damien has his tropes and you're you're starting to see what he is known for. And I think this movie encapsulates everything that we've seen in Whiplash, La La Land, and First Man. Like, he has his certain type of cine- um, camera styles, how he frames certain scenes, how he do- he loves those panting shots where he focuses on, like, the butt of an instrument and either uh-huh. goes away from it or zooms into it. Like, he loves those shots. And we he saw that so much. He loves zooming in on a trumpet. It's, like, his yeah. favorite thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a drumstick or a trumpet. Oh, yeah. He gets his musician back and he goes, yeah, look at that. Yeah, oh. it's, like, every chance he gets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's it's that kind of directing though at times yeah. where it feels almost corny to me. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Like he like he he definitely loves and he does it any chance he can get. Um, those quick edits and then like when it goes from like one point of view to like a quick point of view and all that, like he's done that before. Like and you know we 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 are from, we are now getting used to his styles, right? 
So if anything, I think the technical categories is quite a possibility to sound too. Like I agree. There, again, during that whole multiple take, first time they're doing a sound picture with Margot Robbie's character, that was phenomenally done as far as sound design is concerned. Score, I don't think score is going to be considered for for this movie because, again, I think it just sounds way too familiar to La La Land, and I think that maybe there's more other films out there with better scores. <clears throat> I think the one thing to really look into and pay attention to is definitely Margot Robbie and Diego Calva. I think if this movie should be considered for anything, like in the top categories... I think those two should be considered for an acting category uh, nom for sure. Because like I said, Diego, I have never seen him before and he blew me away in, in this uh, performance that, um, that he, he did. And Margot, I think we, we can't speak enough about her performance. I mean, like, like I said, on how I started it off, if you're not familiar or you're not aware of how well and how good of an actress she is, this has her whole repertoire, I think, thrown in, in front of your face. She was able to do everything from being funny to being serious to being tragic to being, you know, violent. Um, the, the, the scene, I think, that screams the most is when she's trying to cry on, on cue. Yep. And then they go back and wow. forth. Well, can you do one tear or can you just well it up and then now let it flow and all that? I mean, I'm sure there was some editing involved in all that stuff, but. Man, that was wow. such a powerful moment when she was doing all yep. of that. Um, so yeah, Yo, so I yeah. That to me, that's one of those where the acting branch will eat up that performance in oh, yeah. that moment. And what's mm -hmm. interesting, what I'm kind of taking from this is we it might be just the undercategories and the editing and the, but it also could be a movie where it's a lot of acting nominations at least yeah. a couple with Diego Calva and Margot mm -hmm. Robbie this might have a nightmare alley situation where it's nobody's pick for best picture and it's nobody's favorite movie from the year and it was kind of hard to stomach at times yeah. had a very niche audience that really mm -hmm. loved it and everybody else was kind of turned off but that actually gets um, I think nightmare alley had either the most or among the most nominations uh last year I also want to shout out while we're talking about Margot Robbie's character that I don't know if it was on purpose, but there's a replica of her scene in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where her character, which this movie referencing other movies later on, I'm starting to think maybe it's on purpose, but her character goes to the theater, wants to get a ticket, the person does not recognize her, and they show her going inside of the movie yes. and enjoying watching herself on screen. Yes, yes. And that was uh, one of my favorite scenes of the movie, too. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's enough of that, it being in uh, a a glowing self-reference to Hollywood that mm. I don't think it'll piss off the Academy. I think they might almost take it like, you know, people go to the Comedy Central roast because they enjoy hearing, sure. the, you know, the what their dirt is and, and being mm -hmm. made fun of. And I, I could see this movie doing well on the on the awards. That's my current gut. And maybe two months from now, it'll be zero, zero, zero. We'll see. I mean, we'll see. Again, um, the voting body has changed in the last couple of years. So it, it could, it could swing a little differently for, from what we're used to. So, and it came out at a good time because this is definitely going to favor itself for recency bias. Cause a lot of people are going to be having this in their mind, having it come out. What the last, uh, like second to last week of December and all that. So, um, 
with all that, okay, before we close it out, so you gave it a five-star rating on Letterboxd. Um, I gave it three and a half uh, stars on Letterboxd myself. Um, after talking it through with you, um, I guess there are certain aspects of it that I cannot think back on and I appreciate a little bit more, but I think it doesn't really overall change my feeling and opinion about the movie. The way I also think about it too is that I don't think I will actually go back and revisit this movie, uh, at least not for a very long time. Um, when I think about um, Damien's library of work, uh, Whiplash, I can watch you know anytime I want. Uh, I feel like that is a movie that's easily rewatchable. La La Land, for my own personal reasons, I love that movie. That's still a, a movie that I consider very high on my list of all-time favorite movies. Um, you know, again, it's just, it, it's, it spoke to me when that movie came out and mm-hmm. it still speaks to me today. Um, but first man, I've never seen it again since the first time. Um, and this one, I mean, yeah, it was a trip, but I don't think I'll, I'll revisit it anytime soon. I mean, do you, do you have that same feeling or is this a movie that you would want to see again? To see this. Honestly, might go back in theaters. There's a lot. Uh, awards movie-ing to be done, but I also mm-hmm. have some time off coming up. So yeah. this is one that I could definitely see myself. When I go back to my hometown, what I'll usually do is take my mom or brother to a favorite movie of mine that they wouldn't have seen on their own. Mm-hmm. And I might do that with this one with my brother. Probably not as likely my mom, but I don't know. We'll see. This is one... Uh, I, have a, I have a few friends back home that are, are proper film bros like me. Uh-huh. And this might be one that we go we go together on a Saturday. We'll see. You mean you're not going to take them to see Avatar 2 again? Way of Water? Uh, I've seen it twice now. And, so you, but uh, you I haven't seen it like three I times. Mean... <laughs> <laughs> I saw the original Avatar eight times. Okay, I gave James Cameron as much money as I possibly could. Come on. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> can't talk about Avatar again. <laughs> no. I'm looking well, at the... I do love that there is an Avatar connection to this movie, though. <laughs> so that honestly, that was one where it went super meta, where he's not just, just doing like classic movies, like you know, the Steven and then thirty black and white movies and Casablanca and whatever. And, um, no, it, it went all the way up to current. Classics. Oh my god, it was <laughs> crazy! Year. Yeah, so funny. But um, the other thing I, I, do, I actually do want to mention: so uh, Diego Calva has the gold nomination gold the gold. golden globe nomination and is uh, like around the top tens for oscar predictions oh. margot robbie is currently the number five for oscar predictions for, there you go. for best actress and nice. i think that's interesting now i don't think i think it's definitely going Kate blanchett or michelle yo i do not think margot robbie will win but i i wouldn't be surprised but nominee she'll be nominated for sure I think, or it has a good chance. Be an honor. That'd be her. Yeah. That'd be her third nomination in her career. Um, which the other one being Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And as we know, once you kind of get your foot in the door for those, um, this might be. And Damien Chazelle is already heavily, highly nominated from his past. Mm-hmm. Um, even First Man, either winning or at least being nominated for a few of the editing type stuff. So yeah, we'll see. Um, yeah. I'm curious to see how this one ages, and I'm definitely curious if I. Man, who if I go again and who I take, like how how that goes? Because uh, I can see, I know some people will be turned off by this movie. I think if someone gives it the uh, like the the care that it deserves, I, I genuinely think this was a very successful movie, even if the box office or awards shows don't show that. Sure. 
Well, again, that's the big question here, right? Is like how, you know, generic general audiences are going to react to this movie. They're not going to like it. Yeah, they're not going to. Yeah, they're, they're not, not going to like it at no all. <laughs> no, but, but that is the question that we're going to pose to all of you out there, because I feel like, you know, the people who watch us, listen to us, it's it's a mixed bag, right? I feel like there are people who love movies like we do, and there are some who are like maybe more casual, uh, you know, general type of viewers and all that. So is this a movie that you are interested in watching? Have you seen it maybe already? So what are your thoughts on the movie? We would love to hear your thoughts and opinions about the movie. If it's not a movie that was on your radar, have we persuaded you maybe to see it even more? That's some of the stuff that we'd love to know. Uh, let us know again in the comics if you are a fan of Damien Chazelle's work, line of work, and if you are interested in Babylon at all. But with that being said, that is our episode this week. We will return again next week where we're going to be discussing our top favorite movies of 2022 and what we're looking forward to most in 2023. Are we going to have another Top Gun Maverick situation? We shall see because that was a fun conversation we had back then that turned out to be in my favor (laughs) 1,000%. But before we, we head out, Blake, where can people find you on the interwebs? Yes, I am on letterboxd.com and my name there is Blake Wolf SSN, like Blake Wolf's screen name. Um, on there, uh, real quick, there's a one, there's a Christmas movies that are definitely Christmas movies list that if you're going through and talking about is Die Hard a Christmas movie, these ones are definitely not Christmas movies. <laughs> so far, I'm up to uh, about 80, and it's just a movie that has one tiny reference to Christmas or like a little bit of like, okay, this one scene early on happened or someone sings Jingle Bells in the background or something like that. And that's it. That's a fun one. The other one that this movie Babylon got added to uh, was uh, I'm going to home for the holidays. I got to shout out the hometown. Brad Pitt is from Shawnee, Oklahoma. Hometown. Born there, was not raised there. I think moved within like a few months, but we definitely take as much credit for Brad Pitt as possible. Since it's Oklahoma, we don't got a lot else to talk about. But at some point in this movie, they mentioned um, he he kept doing his Italian, which was a little better than his Italian in Inglorious (laughs) Bastards, but not a ton. The character kept trying to act like he spoke Italian. Yeah. And at some point, one of his wives, they're fighting, and she says, you're not fucking Italian, you're from Shawnee. And so this one goes on the list of movies that mention Oklahoma. So that's where what you'll find on my letterbox, as well as me giving this movie five stars. Very nice. And, and again, I think that also speaks to his character as to trying to be so prestigious and trying to think that he's bigger than what he really was. Right. And I think, again, that could be very well why you also didn't like his performance, because I think it's very ironic coming from an actor who is perceived so highly in our that's industry. True. Right. So, yeah, very, very interesting dynamic there. You're onto something. I, w- I, you know, what would have made more sense as a casting would be someone who had a similar arc in their career, which yeah, we true. see sometimes. Like, imagine Nicolas Cage. Obviously, not Nicolas Cage in this movie. That'd be bizarre. But like someone like that who, yeah, is maybe more washed up, or a Brendan Fraser or something. So, yeah, very, very um, true. We, we no, no time to get into all of that, but no, uh, yeah. 
But I will say that we we need we should consider turning some of your letterbox lists into episodes that we do in the future because that would be some fun stuff to really talk about and and running through a list like some of your unique and very creative lists <laughs> um, and maybe allow me to catch some of the movies I haven't seen yet. So something to talk about in the future. But as for me, Loki Geek, you could find me on all the handles that you see on screen, Twitter. Instagram, of course, most importantly here on uh, YouTube. If you haven't done so already, it takes you a quick couple of seconds. Hit that like button. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. Hit the notification bell to get notified every time a video is uploaded. If you want a podcast version of this, type in Loki Geek on your podcast platform of choice where you could download this and many other episodes directly from there. And if it prompts you, please leave a great rating, help spread the word and help grow this channel and community. With that being said, this has been movie time. I've been Renee. That's been Blake. Stay cool. Stay classy. Stay sane. Happy holidays. Enjoy your holidays, everybody. And we'll catch you in the next one. Peace out, y'all.